Hello everyone, welcome to episode number 46 of Starting to Know Business Podcast with your host and your friend Ishu Singh. If you're listening to this podcast for the very first time, welcome here. If you want to learn more about this, this podcast is all about learning something new about entrepreneurship, how to build a scalable companies, how to scale the companies, how to be a great leader, how to start your own new venture, how to get acquired, all those fancy things like venture capitalism, many things around entrepreneurship. So you will learn here a ton. Thank you one more time for being a part of this podcast. And for the repeat listeners, thank you so, so much for listening to this podcast for the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time, or even more than that. I know that. As I've mentioned many times before, with your support, we made the evolution of this podcast, and that is Starting to Know magazine, like startingtoknow.com. You can go there and learn more about different topics. Get inside, get in depth into many topics, business, around business, and many other things. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to issuesing.com. You can learn more about me there as well. If you want to watch me, if you want to actually see me, here you're listening to me. If you want to see me, go on YouTube, type issuesing. You will see my YouTube channel there. Soon we will also be launching contributor platform or contributor option for startingtoknow.com. So if you're a writer, you want to contribute to the magazine, like of course... You can get in touch and we will make you rolling. Today's episode is going to be with Joseph. Joseph is a serial entrepreneur. He got his two companies acquired before. So if he's coming, he's coming with full power, right? He knows what he's going to talk about. Joseph is currently the CEO of Uvaro. Like it's a tech sales career accelerator. Uvaro, Joseph and Joseph's team is helping people to switch their career or maybe like start their career in sales. And he is also running another company named as Kite. It's a sales enablement platform. Joseph is also an early stage investor. So in this episode, I'm going to try to dig deeper into all of his experiences, like how to build the companies, about uh, how to build scalable sales teams, and about... Uh, what investors are looking for um, in different teams and different companies when they're looking to invest. So there are going to be many things and I'm already I'm already getting the thoughts uh, like that I'm gonna ask him like I'm already getting the questions in my head like I should keep rolling and without waiting one more second, let's welcome uh, Joseph to the pod. Hi Joseph, welcome to the pod. Hi, Ishu. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. For the listener's context, um, let's start with Uwaro. Please share something about Uwaro, your company. For sure. Uh, so Uwaro is a career success company. We help professionals launch and grow careers in tech. Uh, and we primarily do that, helping them land roles in tech sales and help them crush quota, succeed, grow, and move on. And it's a blast because we get to help people transition from other industries. Like so many people have been let go during the pandemic and we help them move to these great careers and do awesome things. It's, it's a fun time. Cool. And you also have another venture, Kite. 
Mm -hmm. uh, uh, please share something about that as well, just for context. Uh, also in the sales space, Kite is a sales enablement platform. Uh, software companies, scaling companies use Kite to organize their sales playbooks, share it with their team members so their team members have all the latest up-to-date objections, discovery questions, quotes, testimonials. It's a free platform. Uh, and today there's 30,000 sales professionals using it to power their selling motions. Uh, so it's a fun, cool technology uh, and dovetails nicely with our tech sales program. Cool, cool. And I know that you have some successful exits under your belt. Did you take any pause after each exit or you continue your journey like without taking any pauses? Oh man, what a good question. Uh, so. <laughs> I mean, for, for anyone that's listening that you know, hasn't you know, seen the LinkedIn profile or anything, I've got uh, the five tech companies before Uvaro, and uh, I did not take enough breaks. Uh, I did have a hiatus right in the middle. Uh, I'd run a couple of bootstrapped companies and thought I need to take a break from the kind of bootstrapped software space. And I spent a couple of years working in the NGO space. So I, I worked with digital, uh, running digital strategy for the Center for International Governance Innovation. And that was really cool. That was a lot of fun. Uh, helped me remember that my place is in, in tech and software. And so left that and jumped back into it to, to launch my more recent companies. Cool. And what were the key lessons that you learned from the two exits? Oh my goodness. Um, there's so many lessons. Uh, I think one of the things that really stuck out to me um, going through the process was that if you get the opportunity to to sell your company, and not everybody does, but if you do get that opportunity, being really, really specific in how you do your own due diligence and your reference checking, uh, I I didn't realize until after we had closed and after we had sold our company to NetSuite how really lucky and fortunate we were. Um, went in and we did a ton of reference checking. We talked to companies that had been acquired by them, people who had worked for the executives, investors who had invested in the company. And so we felt really comfortable with the acquisition. It went really, really well. And after speaking to other founders who had a chance to sell their company, they, they didn't take that same opportunity to do all the due diligence. And that I think is what resulted in a lot of their challenges. So that's, that's the big one that really stuck out to me. Like, hey, mm -hmm. you diligence your investors, you diligence your employees, if someone's buying your company, you got to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So Joseph, the, the reason for doing uh, this diligence is, is for the purpose of uh, that basically what they're promising you're going to get that or not, like in terms of money and other promises. Is that right? Um, it's actually not so much about the money. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the contract and the money is often pretty easy. It's like, mm -hmm. hey. And you're going to buy the company for what is it five million 50 million 500 million i mean it's there and you've got lawyers and shareholder representation firms who, who help make sure so it's actually much less about the money mm -hmm. um it's much more about the the culture the fit the management um mm -hmm. a good way to think about it when they buy your company they've bought the right to make all decisions about what your company is going to do mm -hmm. about your team your product your customers the diligence is to help you feel comfortable that they're going to make the same decisions or decisions that respect your employees and customers the same way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. And you mentioned that at URO, you accelerate people, which then ultimately leads to the acceleration of the companies. So what do you cover specifically in this program? Like I wanted to talk to you about this first. For sure. So the, our program itself has a, a couple of components. 
the obvious thing, and if you go to our website, you'll see this, it's, it's the very kind of in your face value prop is really great tech sales training. And we, we teach everything from, you know, prospecting, social selling, your discovery, qualifications, personas, how to run a sales cadence, use the technology like sales loft, outreach, HubSpot. We really set people up well to be SDRs, AEs, really in technology companies. Um, but that's just the obvious stuff. What's underneath the hood that I think makes the Uvaro program so powerful is we do a lot of work on resilience and mindset and a lot of work on the actual job search process. A lot of people that want to get into tech, they, they apply to the brands they know. They say, hey, I saw Wealth Simple in the news, I'll apply there, or I, I know Slack's a thing, I'll apply there. Uh, we spend a lot of time helping people realize what's motivating them, what's inspiring them. And then we have a ton of tools and a ton of tech to help them target the right kind of company. Uh, and I think that's why we have such a successful hit rate with landing people really great roles. It's just about being targeted in your outreach. Uh, it's like sales 101, except it's job search 101. And do you do you think like this for the sales role specifically, uh, you need to have that in you? Like because watching the movies and like seeing the old people selling, trying to sell the product is is totally different than what like our generation, like the younger people are doing. That is is opposite, mm -hmm. uh, or I would say is more refined version before like it was because might there might be like not enough tools available or things like that available and they have to do like a lot of i would say pressure selling if that is the right word like um they give the references and like show other things around the product but nowadays the selling is completely different like what do you feel that like is that a the person needs to have that within um within like them to to be a salesperson or is that an, another skill that can be taught to anyone well I, I think we're actually we're seeing you talked about the old ways of selling and i think yeah. we're actually seeing three different three different dynamics changing mm. that all add to that uh, i mean the first one is just the amount of technology and the amount of data um it, people used to talk about how sales is more art than science and mm. It's very much the opposite now. It's, you know, work the process, use the data, use the technology and tools to optimize. And I mean, it's definitely true in the space. And you know, folks who grow up trying to optimize their, you know, their, their likes, their shares on Instagram or TikTok and their subscribers, and you've got this innate understanding around how to work the data. And so I think that's the first one. Um, the second, the subscription economy is taking over everything. and you know, everyone's used to that now. Hey, I'm going to buy, I don't know, Disney Plus. And so long as they have content I like, I'll maintain my subscription. As soon as it doesn't deliver value, I'll cancel. Mm. Modern selling is based on that. So in modern sales, you want to bring on someone who will stay a customer for a long period of time. So high pressure, transactional sales, bully sales doesn't work anymore because someone buys and then they cancel. That doesn't help you. It doesn't help the company. Um, so that subscription economy that trend around data. But the last thing is that because the world is so global, you're now competing with everyone. You, you don't have the benefit of the moat. You know, the fact that you, know, you and I are just down the highway from each other. So mm. we're the only people that'll talk. And now when you can buy and you can sell online, if you're looking at my product, you might be looking at products from someone uh, from someone in China, from someone in, in Uruguay and someone in England. So 
I, to successfully sell, I need to know your problems way better than it used to be. So modern sales is way more about knowing the buyer, the persona, their problems, and much less about pushing a product. All those three together, that's what's highlighting what you're talking about. Like that's the way, you know, younger, newer salespeople, people who are fresh to the industry or people who are learning how to do it again, they're just picking up a different skill set because the, the landscape has changed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how to build a scalable company is it, if you if we're gonna if you're gonna move with this direction that you just explained like um, the how the things has changed. So can you explain like if you have some insight around it, like how to build a scalable sales team? Totally. I, I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs, there's, I mean, I'm one of them. I, I know this, a lot of entrepreneurs who are technical, deeply understand how to make your engineering team scalable. You know, mm. you think about agile processes, you think about how to always get better at what you're doing. You think about, you know, the scalability of your platform, you hire a DevOps team, you think about how you can outsource some of the underlying architect, all these things. The reality, the tech company is a two engine plane. One engine is building product, the other engine is selling it. And so you need to think about the same type of efficiencies, the same type of scalability in your sales work. And so that means things like the tech stack for your sales team, your enablement, your operations, the specialty and the rules. How do you always review it? You know, I'm surprised at how few sales teams do things like retrospectives or sprint planning. It, this type of agile iteration, like get better with every sprint, that is not the domain of just product. 100% it could be the domain of sales and marketing as well. And I think founders who get that, that idea of constant improvement, have way more success than, than those who think sales just, yeah, hey, hire a sales guy and they're going to sell. That kind of old classic approach. I mean, all those stereotypes, it's terrible. You know, you've got to look for better diversity in terms of gender, race, age, all those things. You can't just hire it. You can't see me on the quote, you know, on the podcast, but those scare quotes, you know, can't hire a sales guy and solve all your problems. You have to be really deliberate, really inclusive, and really systematic about it. And uh, the other thing, Joseph, that I've I've seen is in the salespeople, um, uh, like account executives and all other like sales team members, they mm. need to have the product knowledge as well. Like what I feel that like sales knowledge is not enough. Like you are in the tech world, of course. So uh, again, like going back to the old times and the new time comparison, like in this time, like I think that you need to have that tech background as well. And product in trust as well like it's not going to be like okay this is a product and start selling like because with as you were saying like with every sprint or with every like after every week after every 15 days the 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 company is going to improve the product so the there has to be in trust uh in the sales team as well like it's more and beyond uh money and like selling 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 and like more so often building that relationship with the customer as well, right? So some of what you said, I really agree with. Some of it I disagree with though. Mm -hmm. so, so let me let me unpack that a bit. Um, yeah. In the last comment you had, you know, it's it's much more about building a relationship, building trust with the customer, mm. you're not just selling, selling, selling. I 100% mm. agree, totally. Uh, mm. I think a lot of sales reps make the mistake of thinking every lead needs to close and they waste so many cycles talking to somebody who's a bad fit for the product. So 100% agree, it is sooner, it's kind of like in engineering, if you have tests that catch your problems sooner, you just ship better product, same thing. 
mm -hmm. sales. If you can disqualify a customer sooner, you spend your time, you know, building, building a better pipeline. Um, totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, you also mentioned that uh, sales reps should show uh, an interest mm -hmm. in product. And I think that's also very true, but maybe not for the reasons you were thinking. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the average tech sales team, has got about 20 different tools they're using. And the average piece of sales technology gets swapped in about four years, which means every year, you know, a quarter. So out of 25 different tools are going to get mm. changed for a sales rep. So if they don't have an inherent interest in technology, they're going to be slow to adopt. They'll be resistant to adopt a year will go by and they don't even know how to use a quarter of their stack of technology. A modern sales rep has to be very comfortable trying, adopting, exploring technology just to do their job. Um, the part I disagree with was the comment about them knowing the product in order to sell. Mm, mm. And I, I mean, I've, I've done this, I've been there. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, you're a founder too. And I think a lot of founders get caught up in that because we know our product so well and that's how we sold. Mm. But mm. what we see it in the data, in, in the results, in the, in the books, in the performance of reps, they, they don't need to know the product so much as they need to know the customer. And I'm sure in your products and, and like me in building mine, by building the product, by knowing the product really well, that happened because we actually knew the customer really, really well. And so when we look at our own skills, it looks like product knowledge, but what's actually under the hood is the customer knowledge. And when the sales reps, really deeply, profoundly understand what the customer is seeing. Like, what's their time of day? Are, are these customers usually parents? Do they have to drop their kids off at school? Do these customers usually have two direct reports or do they have an organization of 50 under them? So what do their meetings look like? What, what are they stressing about? What, what, are they, mm -hmm. what keeps them up and at? That knowledge helps you sell really well. So I would always say, hey, if you're onboarding salespeople, you know, spend 80% of your time training them on the customer and 20% of the time on the product because mm. you can sell if you only know the customer. But if you only know the product, you don't know the customer, you're never going to sell. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting way to see that. Yeah, yeah. And people buy from people, as you said, like even if it is mm -hmm. a tech product, do you see this changing? Like the, the technology is advancing every single day. I don't know like what's going to come next. So do you see this changing? Totally. I, I mean... I don't, I don't see that dynamic changing, like that idea of people buy from people. And like, if you know my problems really well, I'm going to buy from you. Uh, I don't think that's going to change. But your comment about like technology is always changing, yeah. 100%. Like, it's, it's not possible to stay on top of every change that happens in your product or every change a competitor's product does. So it's kind of like, What's the word? It's like boiling the ocean, mm. trying to know everything about your platform. Uh, but you can know everything about the customer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's always like something like Google tries and like Facebook tries like so many things. But like entirely, like I don't feel so like the technology is still there to understand like individual entirely because, yeah, the te technology is not there yet. What I know. It, the technology is not going to do it. And the, the reality is a, a, a really good example. One of the customers I was just talking to used to run a karate school. And mm -hmm. one of our, our instructors also used to run a karate school. And they spent a bunch of time talking about what it was like 
running a karate school and then getting into tech. And mm. I mean, that's a unique challenge. You know, being a woman who runs a karate school is now working in tech. Like you've got all sorts of barriers in front of you. And the fact that they could connect on that, that is the advantage, not even the discussion about the product and the technology and the offering. It was getting to know the person as a real person. And yeah, things like the databases that Google has, that Facebook has, or, you know, that are available on, uh, you know, for sale on the dark web, that stuff's never going to answer that kind of human experience. Mm, true. I agree with you. Uh, and, and so, uh, so coming back to like, I was thinking, um, you are also an investor and, um, uh, you had like two two successful exits, uh, mm -hmm. if I'm not wrong. That's right. Uh, it depends. It's so funny. You think about various degrees of success. Uh, on each of the exits, I've learned things, so I'd call them <laughs> success. <laughs> but yes, there've been two that have been. Uh, how do we call it? Accretive to the bank account. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. And uh, so after those exits, uh, so just wanted to ask you, like, for those two companies, so. Uh, I think you were the founder of one of that company, right? Uh, in both cases, in yes. In both cases? Yeah. So uh, were those bootstrapped or you got the funding from the investors? So one was bootstrapped entirely. Uh, and then the other was, was venture-backed as well. Okay. Tell mm. us the difference. Which one you like most? Like venture-backed funding or uh, bootstrap was the fun? Um. Oh, I'm chewing on that one. What did I like <laughs> better? Uh, in all honesty, I, I mean, I did enjoy the venture backed companies more, but I don't think it's because they're venture backed. I think it's mm -hmm. more the team I got to work with, the state of, stage of life that I was in, and how well we were able to execute. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, whether you bootstrap it or you venture venture funded or use debt or friends and family, those are just different ways to fuel the business objective. Um, and, and I think I was very lucky in that I didn't have any of the, a, a lot of people will raise venture capital and they have a terrible relationship with their investors and mm. that colors it for them. I, I was lucky. I never had those big negatives. Um, mm -hmm. so all told, I kind of see the source of funding as, you know, largely irrelevant. Uh, if you get the right funders, you can bring on really good advisors. And, and I was lucky in that, um, but ultimately, most of it comes down to the customers, the team you get to work with, because that's what makes it fun or not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you are also an investor now. So what do you think, like, what is the, what, according to you, is an investable business? Um, someone invested in your company as well. So what do you think, like, uh, that essential thing should be there? I, of course, like, the business should be able to make money or is making money, but what else should be there? Oh, that's such a fun, interesting one. Um, yeah, I mean, a huge, big, it, I'm going to answer the question, but if folks who are listening and don't, don't take my advice to the bank, because I mean, I've invested in about a dozen companies, but I'm not doing this professionally and, uh, you know, I'll see how <laughs> I do and odds are I'll lose more money than I make. But, uh, <laughs> for me, how I make my decisions, uh, I'm, I got into this coming from a very entrepreneurial family and a family that didn't have a lot. And so I think a lot about, you know, the people who took a bet on me. And so when I'm out looking at investments and I'm looking at opportunities, I'm really looking at folks who I think are going to do a great job of building a business. We're going to do some remarkable things, but I also think about, you know, who are the people where 
me making a bet might influence others to do the same so that we can actually make a difference in the trajectory of their company. And those are things that I look for. And as a result, I, I end up spending a lot of time with underrepresented groups. Uh, so I make sure more than half my investments are in women-led companies, uh, spend a lot of time with newcomers uh, to the country, mm. uh, and spend a lot of time working with founders who maybe don't yet have a broad network so that I can help with making those introductions, early customers, things like that. So, mm -hmm. Especially when you're at a pre-seed level, those things can make a big difference. And so that's usually where I try to focus my time. Okay, good to know. And how does the company get bought? Like, do the investor look for the opportunities or like something else happened that we don't know? Oh my goodness, there's so many different ways. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've seen them where the company's struggling and... The, the founder says, hey, this isn't going to work. I got to sell the company. I've seen them where the investors say, hey, this isn't working. You got to sell the company. <laughs> um, for us, we were really fortunate in that uh, with, uh, so with our first company, uh, we had uh, two halves of the business, one that's doing services, one that was building a product. And one of our biggest resellers wanted to buy product half of the business since so they approached us on that. And then we went out to agencies we knew and then sold the services business to, to an agency. Um, mm. And so again, a buyer came to us that precipitated the whole thing. In our second business, it was one of our partners. Uh, they were, so NetSuite was launching an ecosystem of HR technology partners. We were one of those partners. They then made the decision that they actually wanted to buy a company. And so we were invited to participate in that process. And I mean, they went and looked at 70 different companies and knew no one had a better fit for their customers than we did. So it was a very natural match. Uh, and so again, we were lucky that they, they came and approached us. Mm -hmm. Joseph, like a totally different question, like uh, as you are also founder, I wanted to ask you, like, how do you use the stack for the salespeople? Like, or yeah, you, you have the product for other teams, but you might also need like some tools that you want to use. So like, what is the criteria just, just for the knowledge sake? Yeah. So um, I tend to take the approach of not coming in with a fit, like a set uh, defined stack of technology. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I generally go in when I'm building a team trying to figure out, you know, what is the selling motion? What is it like? And then how do we find tools that automate those steps? Um, so that's generally mm -hmm. the approach that I take. Uh, and I'm, I'm cheap to start, so I start with the free versions of things. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we use things like when we got started, we're using, you know, HubSpot for CRM, we're using, you know, the really inexpensive versions of, you know, G Suite and how they charge for it. Um, so mm -hmm. we put in a lot of basics, uh, but then we look at what are the motions people are doing and then try and both improve their efficiency and improve their conversion rates. So, mm -hmm. a good example. If our team, when they got to the point of doing a lot of emails and a lot of calls, a lot of personalization, we looked at it and said, hey, this is sinking a lot of time. How do we find a tool that'll make you do it faster? And we we ended up picking up a sales engagement platform. Um, we use SalesLoft, but there's SalesLoft, there's Outreach, there's others. Mm -hmm. um, our managers were spending a lot of time listening into calls, coaching, reviewing, and we wanted to make that more efficient. So then we pulled in uh, Gong to help with that. Mm -hmm. uh, we we're doing so much email outreach you see our conversion rates we wanted to make those better and so as we looked at best practices we brought in video so we use vidyard extensively mm -hmm. so yeah like most teams we have a whole stack of technology uh, but we never went into it saying what's the menu of tech we need we went into it saying 
What's our mission? Now that we know the right way to make this work, let's get a tool to try and make that faster or better. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Good to know. Thanks for sharing. And Joseph, I should have asked you this before, but I don't know, like for some reason I, I missed this. But now, like, I think I should ask you before we wrap up or ask you the last questions. So wanted to ask you, like, we, we talked about or we touched on to the point, like, um, how your accelerator you are is uh, helping mm. people to, um, to get into the sales profession. What about the companies? Like, uh, so we, we discussed about the scalable, like how we can build the scalable teams. So you are training people. What I'm, my question is around like what the companies should do in order to, I would say, attract the right talent. Um, are the things changing on that end? Are you seeing changes in the interviewing process or like other other areas, like how the companies are hiring the right talent? Because it's oh, not about talent, it's about the right talent, right? That's such a, such a great question. Um, so, I mean, you and I, we've got some context, but for the listeners, uh, our, you know, our program, we, we put people through a 12-week program, help you know, train them up on how to sell tech, and then we introduce them to companies. So companies will all come to us hiring sales talent. And so we get a ton of data, a ton of experience on what works, what doesn't, what are their activities. So to, to come back to your question, mm. uh, we do see a couple of big changes. Like over the last 12 months, the number of teams that are just hiring, they're jumping straight to hiring remote has just skyrocketed. So, I mean, at the beginning of 2020, a lot of teams would say things like, hey, we're based in Toronto or we're based in Austin. We really want someone who's nearby and we might consider, you know, outside if it's the right person. Hmm. Now we're hearing the opposite. Like, yeah, we, we're happy to have someone anywhere. Uh, and if they're nearby, that's a nice to have, but we're not expecting them to come in. So hmm. that's necessary because people are turning down offers when it requires coming in in-house. So that's left, right, center. The second thing in terms of making people successful, way bigger understanding that folks come from a different background, like a non-stereotypical background can mm -hmm. actually perform better. Uh, again, beginning of 2020, a lot of VPs of sales, they'd be looking at our grads, our talents, and they say, oh, you know, I really want someone who maybe just finished college. They, they played competitive sports and they're very extroverted because mm -hmm. they'll, they'll be able to sell. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I mean, that, that brings you a very specific stereotype and there can be great sales reps that come out of that. But I mean, we're seeing, and all it improves it, that there's folks who were bartenders, driving trucks, were, you know, were personal trainers, were flight attendants that are just crushing it in sales because they've got that experience. They know the direction. So big variety. And I, I think for the numbers, for the entrepreneurs who are listening in, enablement, that investment in enablement, uh, Fantastic, fantastic data. You know, a couple of years ago, you'd be lucky if a sales team had one sales enablement professional for, for 40 reps. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, you were seeing a lot of teams that maybe had one enablement professional for 30 reps, but now we're seeing so many teams where that ratio is one to 20. So that idea of in-house, we will have professionals whose job is to make our sales reps more productive and more successful and coach them way bigger investments in that. So mm -hmm. if you're hiring sales reps, you're going to have to invest in that because your competitors are. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this as well. Do you think, Joseph, if I've missed anything 
or I should have asked you this question, please feel free to share with the entrepreneurs, founders who are listening to this uh, podcast right now. If you think I have missed anything. Um, I don't, I, the only thing I'd, I'd add is if any of those founders or entrepreneurs are looking to hire great sales reps, feel free to reach out to us. Happy to make an introduction. You know, you can hit us up and, and happy to connect you with any of our grads. Sure. And Joseph, where can we learn more about you and your business if someone wants to get in touch? For the, the business, uvaro.com, U-V-A-R-O.com. And for me, I'm always happy to chat, especially with other founders and entrepreneurs. I'm on most social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, at uh, Joseph Fung, all one word. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joseph, for coming to the pod. This really means a lot. Oh, likewise. Thanks so much for having me on, Yeshu. I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting again. For sure.